0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Slow Twitch Podcast. Um, We have got a non-triathlete on the podcast today. Um, Somebody that I've been following on Instagram for quite a while um, because I like what he's doing in the running community. Uh, We've got uh, Paul Johnson on the the podcast today. Paul, thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course, Eric. Thanks for having me. So... Dude, you do some crazy stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A lot of miles. Yeah. Like, so, okay. So talk about, so the first thing I want to know is when did you start running long distances? Because you, you're in the Navy, correct? Like you're on ships, like small ships. Like how do you, I mean, I've got so many questions. We're going to get into it, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, I mean, yeah, so I didn't, I mean, I ran in middle school. My parents made me do track. I hated every minute of it. Um, and then high school and college, I really didn't do anything either. At uh, college, I kind of got into triathlon a little bit. Um, like I did, I've done every distance at least once. Um, and then after my junior year of college, I was like, all right, I've done it. I want to do something new. So I kind of fell off. Um, and then immediately once I graduated college, you know, doing the reserve officer training Corps through the Navy and, and Penn state where I went, um, immediately commissioned into the Navy. And my first tour was two and a half, three years overseas, um, in road Spain on a ship. Right. And so being on a, you know, 500 foot long, 60 foot wide piece of steel, it's really hard to run and work out to some degree. Um, yes. So I did a, I did a little bit of, like, you know, treadmill work and things like that just kind of to keep myself active. But I really didn't start running until probably about 12 or 13 months ago last summer um, when one of my, you know, buddies who was a Marine Corps officer was like, hey, we're going to run the Marine Corps marathon and we're going to run a sub three hour. It's like, great, dude, I'm going to get wrecked, but let's do it.
0: So, okay, so wait, you you just started running seriously 12 to 14 months ago.
1: Yeah, because I mean, I had run, I've, I've done like, you know, the Philly marathon before I had done some of the triathlon in college and then about l- probably June last year, my friend's like, Hey, let's train for the Marine Corps marathon. Let's try to go fast. And so I started, we started training on our own separately, probably doing 40, maybe 50 miles a week. Um, and that was like the start of my, I guess, call it my running career,
0: of most Your, recently. I call it addiction, but yeah, <laughs> because a little bit. Okay, but but how many? Because you've done multiple fifty milers, hundred milers this year already.
1: Yes. Um, so I mean, my first ultra was. It was actually it was almost two years ago. Um, So when I first got to San Diego after Spain, I was on another ship in San Diego, and one of my friends out there, she's like, hey, let's go to Arizona and run this 50k in the desert. I'm like, sure, I've done a marathon, like I can do an extra five miles. Um, It absolutely obliterated me. I didn't bring any water, no nutrition. I just tried to run it with nothing. It was terrible. Um, But at that point, I was just like, this is a lot of fun. I'm going to do it again, but I'm actually going to you know practice for it. And that was in my head, but I never really did anything with it until um I ran the Marine Corps marathon a year later. And then I had met um Andy Glaze. Cuz um, he's out in yes. California, well.
0: And and, and it, I we, had, we need to have Andy on the podcast. That guy's he's he's also just as crazy and cool.
1: Yeah. So I had seen one of his videos like a week prior. And as I was going out for one of my runs, I saw that he was racing a 100 around San Diego
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: I was looking at his track and I was like, he's going to run by the beach. I was like, I guarantee you he's going to run along the water, which is where I usually run at.
0: Is Um, is this the one that's like self-supported that he had to like plan himself and like he had like aid stations that were at like gas stations and, and and exactly. kind of things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. It, it's all through the night. And
1: it's like a completely like underground race. There's no bibs. There's yes. no tracking. It's just yes. like you just go do it.
0: Yeah, it looked um, awesome.
1: Yeah. So I ended up running into him on, you know, somewhere around the beginning. Um, and I just started running with him and chatting with him. And I probably ran a total of like twenty-five to thirty miles of the race with him just talking and having a good time. Mm-hmm. And he sort of convinced me, he's like, yeah, dude, just pull the trigger and, you know, sign up for an ultra and go for it. Um, and so I had first signed up for the speed go 50 K, which is where I think we ran into each other at, mm-hmm. um, this summer. And as I started you know, training for it back in January, I was like, you know what, I could, I could probably do a hundred. It's just, you know, you do it three more times or two more times. Um, and that's when I had signed up for canyons, which was my first hundred miler and ultimately okay. what got led to UTMB.
0: Yeah. Which I mean, in theory, depending on the course that you choose, um, you know, you're right. If you, you know, cause, cause speed gut's a whole nother world of, um, altitude, right. And up and down, like the elevation gains and loss in that race is, is ridiculous. And if you, if you can conquer that, and then you can be selective with the hundred miler that you're doing. Um, in theory, like you should be able to do a hundred if you can do a speed goat, 50 miler.
1: Yeah. But, uh, I, I signed up for, for canyons, um, did well enough to qualify just with direct entry. Mm-hmm. And then speed goat kind of just turned into, well, oh, I'm going to go and have fun with it. And And like you said, the altitude absolutely wrecked me. Like, i'm in the navy i live at sea level i never go to the mountains like it was a terrible time had altitude sickness during the race um but it was fun we did it so
0: yeah yeah it was um it was fun it was fun to see you up there uh doing it and you're right it is um if people at the you know listening to the podcast they don't know about the the speed goat um you know, race, it was, it was invented by Carl Metzler, who is probably known for <clears throat> to be one of the gods when it comes to, uh, male endurance athletes in the trail running scene. Um, he is <clears throat> probably the most influential person when it comes to trail racing, um, over time. Um, and he decided that he wanted to, uh, create a race that was, um, essentially what he thought was the ultimate or the ultimate, like, um, I guess up and down race, which is why I called it the speed goat because it's, it's in, uh, snowbird, um, at the resort and, um, it's just rocky terrain, just up and down and up and down. Um, I think you probably have maybe a mile of flat course while you're out there. Um, But other than that, you're just going up and down on really treacherous, like rocks and, um, you know, other uh, terrain. Um, But it's all above like 9,000 feet the entire day. Like you go all the way up to 11,000 feet and then you're back down to 9,000 feet and you just go up and down for 50 miles. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, it was it was a wake up call when I my flights got delayed. So I, I was I was like, maybe I can acclimate for like, you know, 24 hours. I was in Utah for less than twelve hours before this started the race, oh my and gosh. it was just it, it got me good,
0: yeah, yeah, although I mean isn't don't they say if you can't acclimate that that's kind of what you're supposed to do is go in at the last minute?
1: I mean, I honestly haven't looked maybe. too much into it, but <laughs> if that's the strategy, then you know maybe it helped me out at least a little bit. <laughs>
0: um so so tell me a little bit about your your navy career because that that's kind of fascinating to me uh, of of what you do for a living specifically with what you're trying to do now when it comes to running because you know looking at your schedule um you're pretty busy like you're constantly running and you're constantly at work so talk to us a little bit about that what do you do for the navy
1: sure so I mean, my official title is I'm in a surface warfare officer in the surface community. Um, so when you you think about the Navy in a traditional sense, you think of you know big gray steel ships, and that's typically my normal office. Um, so my first two tours in the Navy, first five years, um, were on ships: a destroyer and a cruiser. Just they're slightly different. You know, they look different, different capabilities. Um, and with all, within that ship uh my first tour was all engineering so i was a division officer i had about 30 sailors that worked for me and specifically we were repair division so um i had people like damage control men think of like a firefighter um hall technicians which you could think of as fabricators or welders um and then who else do we have i think those were the main two um So we were responsible for things within engineering like uh, the plumbing, showers, um, fire pumps, damage control equipment, anything that we would use to help save the ship if it were damaged. Um, And that would be like my day job on the ship. And then the other part of that job would be actually up in uh, the pilot house, actually driving the ship, operating it um, across the ocean, interacting with other vessels. Uh, navigating it to where we need it to go. And then, also, part of that job on the other side is working within our combat information center, which is where all of the weapons and combat systems feed into and allows us to track radar, track with radars, um, identify contacts, all of our communications, firing of our weapon systems would all happen in that area. And so, you kind of have to learn, you know how do you operate the ship and make it run from the people level that you're responsible for? And then while working on qualifications for driving the ship and qualifications for fighting the ship.
0: Okay. So how do you manage all of that with your running?
1: Yeah. So it definitely is very difficult. Um, A typical underway schedule when the ship's at sea and we're all, living on board 24-7, typically we would have what we call four-section duty or Mm -hmm. four-section watch, meaning there was four rotating sections and you stood three hours of watch at a time. So typically the watch that I found myself on was the 12 to 3. So from noon to 3 p.m., I was up on the bridge I would have nine hours off, and then from midnight to 3 a.m., I'd be back on the bridge again, and that cycle keeps repeating.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that would be your normal watch. Your you're nine hours off, you would use for everything else that you have to do on the ship, including your normal administrative jobs, um, eating, sleeping, working on qualifications, and potentially working out. And so what I ended up doing there was – Nobody's aw- awake on the ship at 3 a.m. when I get off watch, Right. everyone's sleeping. So as soon as I was done watch, I'd run downstairs, I'd change, and I would just go into the gym for an hour by myself from 3 to 4 a.m. And that sort of became my time. Or if my section shifted to, say, like the 3 to 6 or the 6 to 9, I'd usually work out uh, during lunch or during dinner when there are less people down there. The... Running portion didn't really take off until I was in San Diego because that ship I actually never had to go underway with. It was going through what we call a yard period where they're doing all sorts of maintenance, the ship's in pieces, There's scaffolding everywhere, there's contractors on board. Um, So it's a little bit more of a normal office schedule that you could think of. Mm -hmm. Um, Still a lot of things where I'm sleeping on the ship every fifth day for 24 hours because people have to be there at all times. Um but you just sort of make it work and that made it a little bit easier not having the ship underway all the time.
0: Yeah. Um so are you based out of San Diego now, currently?
1: Um so I was in San Diego for about a year and a half and then back in January I transferred to my new duty station, which is in Newport, Rhode Island. Yeah, exactly. Um and, th- and this is what we call um a shore duty. Mm-hmm. So when you're on a ship, you're on your sea duty, you're a deployable force. Um Shore duty, this is kind of like the payback tour where it's like, hey, you, we've been working you pretty hard for the past five years. This is a little bit of time to kind of recuperate and relax. So I work at a normal office job um, at a schoolhouse. So a lot of the division officers, the role that I was filling before, those are the people that I'm teaching right now before they head out to their second ship. And so I have a much more solidified schedule where, hey, the workday starts at eight, and it's typically finished around three or four p.m.
0: Okay. Now, talk to me th- through your daily grind now, because it it seems like you get up and you get going around like three, three and thirty in the morning. Like at least, at least that's what it shows on your your uh, your your Instagram channel. Like you know, and then. Um, I mean, you're up early, man, like getting it, getting it done. So talk to us a little bit about your, your daily grind and how the, the other thing that I have, like a, a really big curiosity is, is how do you keep yourself mentally sharp so that when you're in this really important role at the Navy, where it sounds like you're instructing people where there's no conflicts there, right? Cause mm-hmm. that's gotta be like, I, I get done with the workout. And I'm just like, I gotta, I gotta like take a break, man. <laughs> it seems like you yeah. and, and Andy, right. Going back to Andy, cause he's a, he's a fire captain in, in yeah. California. Like you guys have like really important roles and I've, and, and, and you, and it seems like from the outside looking in over the last year, you guys are very effective in those roles. Like, You know, like Andy's praised by his, you know, his, his firehouse. Like all of those guys that work there are just like, this guy's the man. But every single weekend he's like doing this hundred, two hundred, three hundred hundred, 200, 300 mile races. And I'm just like, how in the hell does he do all of this stuff? And, and I kind of feel the same way with you where I see, I see these like early morning you know, long ass runs. And then you like, you go straight into the Navy and you have very important roles. How do you manage that?
1: Honestly, for me, it's like, as long as I don't stop, like if I just keep moving and keep doing something, I'm good. But if I have like an hour where I'm not doing something, man, it it feels like it's lights out. Like I just, it takes a toll on the body for sure. Um, but I mean, in terms of the daily schedule, you're right. Um, probably within the last month or so, what it, what it's kind of turned to is I'm usually up at 3 a.m. Um, and my rule is like I, I've got 30 minutes, so by the time 3:30 hits, I got to be out the door and I got to be running. Um, that'll usually be it, it. Depends, probably anywhere from like 10 to 16 miles, starting at 3:30 in the morning. Um, that allows me to get back before six to my house, probably by five thirty, and then at that point I can run over to the gym on base, which is right next. The building's right next to where I work, which is super convenient. Um, do forty-five minutes to an hour at the gym from like six to seven or like six thirty to seven, and then immediately roll over to my office shower in the locker room and and go up and we're ready to start before, uh, you know, eight in the morning. Um, after the work day, uh, I hate working out in the afternoon. That's, that's usually why I wake up so early to get my workouts in Mm -hmm. and it just makes me feel better throughout the day. Um, but there are a lot of times where I've got, you know, additional miles that I need to clock in at the end of the day. And so, Usually when I get home, I'll probably I'll probably try to take like a half hour to a one hour nap. Mm -hmm. Doesn't always work out, but I'll try to get that in and then I'll go do another anywhere from five to probably 10 miles in the evening. Um, At that point, it's just kind of taking care of my normal routine stuff that I have to take care of, you know, daily life activities that need to happen, eating errands, whatever it may be. Um, and then by the end of the day, it's probably, I'm not actually going to bed until about 11 PM, 1130 most nights. Um, and part of that is just,
0: (laughs) yeah. Wow. So, so like four, four to five hours of sleep at night.
1: Yeah. So I think my average sleep is anywhere from like three and a half to five hours a night. Okay. Um, some of that is self-induced with the schedule, and some of it is also just like I've got you know terrible sleep issues that we're still trying to figure out.
0: Okay, all right,
1: but yeah. but you know part of that is it's just I'm 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 just as tired as anybody else, but it's like if I just if I just keep myself moving, yeah. I'm okay.
0: Yeah. Wow, I shouldn't complain when i when I don't get my six or seven hours that i that i <laughs> need as as I always saying talk to me about the gym what what do you do? Cause you run every single day correct yep and and you have like a personal like record going that you kind of keep count like like how many days in a row have you ran without missing
1: um I, I think we're on day like two thirty five or so I always yeah, have to like, google like how many days since yeah um, but January 2nd was the day that I arrived in Newport. Yeah, January 2nd, I think, was the day I arrived in Newport, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And from that day, I said, I'm just going to run every single day. Yeah. And I've been doing it since.
0: Yeah. And and then you, you, you talk about how you go to the gym afterwards. Do you do the gym every day or do you do the gym three or four times a week? What Talk to us about the gym.
1: It's a, so, uh, I lift, I lift, basically I lift heavy, um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday.
0: Okay. So three days a week. And I'll be for
1: about three days a week. I'm lifting for about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, the other days, like like Tuesday, Wednesday, I try to do just movements and stretches, really working the glutes and trying to loosen up like my IT band. Mm Um, like we, we, just call it our booty blasting. Um, okay. it's like Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, and maybe, you know, a Saturday or Sunday, I'm doing my booty blasting. Um, and that's just, again, 30 minutes to an hour, depending just working the legs, trying to stretch out, trying to keep everything loose.
0: Yeah. Any, any injuries that you've been dealing with at all, or have dealt over the last couple of years that you've been really ramping up mileage?
1: Um, the only injuries I've had have been from trying to do shorter races and like, I mean, which is relative, Speed right? Workouts. Cause I think, a, I, I think a marathon is, I hate marathons. I think they're just a sprint the whole way and it hurts and I'd much rather just go like long, slow miles. But I, I uh, agree
0: with the fact that like, I also hate marathons, but I also just go with like the slower ones instead of like, or the, the shorter distances instead of like the longer ones.
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. I just, I get too competitive, I guess. Um, Damn. But I have, so I've had like a chronic issue with my right knee, but that was because I crashed a motorcycle when I was in San Diego. And so I've just basically had issues with that knee ever since. Um, It's pretty much the running actually made the pain a lot less substantial. And now it's just sort of like a numbness in my right knee that I don't really notice unless I put pressure on it or when I'm running for a long time. So that's not really been related to the running. That's just more. I'm an idiot, and I lost traction on a turn type of thing. Yeah. Um, in terms of the running, when I did a Marine Corps marathon last October, I ended up with a stress fracture in my left leg about a week before the race. Um, and then like it hurt, and I was in D.C. for the race, and I'm just like, you know what? It's we hadn't can really confirmed as a stress fracture. It was just very painful, so I ran the race anyways, um, and then I kept running on it till like the end of November. And then finally, I got the Navy to give me an X-ray, and they're like, "Yeah, you have a stress fracture. Please stop." So I had to take probably three weeks off in December, and mm-hmm. that was when I was getting ready to move from San Diego to Newport. Um, and then that was sort of the catalyst where it's like, "Hey." you're out of the boot, you can start running again. Oh, by the way, you're in Newport now. So it was actually like a very nice transition to kind of move into, well, I'm just going to start running all the time because I miss running.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, then when I did the San Diego marathon in, I think, end of May, beginning of June this year, was having really tight quads or really tight, yeah, quads going into it. And then at the end of the race, like, my left hamstring was just smote. Um, I probably did three weeks where I only ran, like, a mile a day. Um, And it was probably – it was my slowest miles, like, 12 to 13-minute pace, just trying to, you know, keep the streak going with the running every day thing, Um, as well as at least being somewhat considerate to trying to get that thing back together. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Those are really – the only things I think you know, I had a I had a bit of a calf strain. It, it always seems to be my left leg. And I think that's partially due to the camber of the road that I'm mostly running on. Okay. Um, but I had a little bit of a cal- I had a calf strain from Eastern States, 100 and we worked through that. It's good to go now, but those are really the kind of the only things I just adjust my schedule a little bit to try and ease the miles a little bit and, and some other stretches and, and working on those, those body parts. Um, but mostly it's just, I just, I keep moving through them and, you know, take a little bit easier and let them heal up a bit.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you have a coach? I do.
1: Um, he's actually in the Navy as well. Um, which is nice because our personalities kind of match each other a little bit. Um, he's usually trying, having to talk some common sense into me when I want to do more miles, (laughs) but it's definitely been very nice. having. Yeah. That's what I told him when we, were, we first started talking. And I'm like, I need somebody who's going to call me out and call me an idiot for what I'm yeah. doing sometimes. Um, but most of the time, I'm just – if people tell me I can't do something, I'm going to want to do it. So right. we'll work right. through that. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, he's in the Navy as well. So he's been helping me with a lot of things, not just like the plan, but like, hey, we need to fix your form a little bit. And, yeah. and that alone is just like made huge leaps and bounds for how much I'm able to do.
0: So – Okay, so you're up at three a.m. You run basically until four thirty-five. Well, so so you're up at three, uh, about five thirty start, or so. You start at three thirty, right? You've got a yep. half hour to like get your shit together, and then and then you run a couple of hours, and then you you go to the gym, and then you go to work, right? Where you instruct Navy personnel. You get done. You've got other things that you're doing in your life. Um, Try to take a nap and then you're in bed by, you know, 11, 1130 at night. Talk to us about fuel and how you fuel this lifestyle from an eating perspective. Like, Uh, because I know Andy's, Andy's vegan, isn't he? He is. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's insane to me that he can do all of that while being vegan but how, how do you do it what what are you are you vegetarian do you eat meat do you, are you vegan like what what's the deal there
1: yes yeah, so calories
0: like, do you eat a day
1: so the, many questions man
0: <laughs>
1: <We're> <laughs> yeah, fire. um okay so i mean guess i start i don't put any dietary restrictions on myself like like you said I, i'm not vegan i'm not you know vegetarian or anything like that uh, i'll eat pretty much anything yeah. Um, Which is fine. Definitely- I don't.
0: I don't want to like. You know, I, just real correct. Like, just I got to take a moment. Like, if if you want to be vegan, like that's fine. What I mean by Andy oh yeah, is I mean it's, it's just whatever it's just, you want to do,
1: whatever works for you. Yeah,
0: me. it's just it's impressive to me that somebody can be so active and need so many calories and limit the amount of f- types of foods that you can get those mm-hmm. calories from. That's what I find that's just crazy, particularly with Andy, right? Because I'm just like, yeah, it, man, it creates like a different
1: set a... of challenges to, to yeah. get those nutrients. Um, right. But it's just once you start doing it, um, it's just like any other diet or anything else that you eat or do. Like once you start doing it, it becomes you don't even think about it; it just it just happens. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but I probably at the peak. When I was doing probably about 130 to 140 miles a week, which was back in March, um, I was doing about five to six thousand calories a day. Um, right now, I'm probably doing four to five thousand, um, just because I'm not doing as much quite as much volume as I was before. Um, and a lot of that comes from, honestly, potatoes. Like I, I love <laughs> potatoes.
0: Like I will go, I'll I'll go very calorie rich, man. Like,
1: (laughs) no, they aren't. But when you load them up with like cooking oil, mayo, ketchup, barbecue sauce, like
0: a lot of, a lot of soybean oil. Okay.
1: Yeah. I can start adding up a lot of calories in them. And like, I absolutely love, I'll go through a 10 pound bag of potatoes a week. Like no problem by myself. You'd have to. Um, and so that, um, like, I make a breakfast sandwich, a fruit smoothie every morning, um, peanut butter, uh, English muffin with some peanut butter, or Pop-Tarts in the morning, um, and then whatever throughout the day. But one of the things that I've been kind of working towards and practicing is, is getting better at, especially my nutrition while I'm running, because I've always been not the, that great at it. Mm-hmm. Um, experimenting with things like you know, Tailwind and Scratch. Um mm-hmm. Nutri-grain bars peanut butter crackers just trying to figure out like what my body can tolerate and getting that figured out has definitely helped a lot just being able to sustain for these longer runs
0: yeah any any particular um, runners to the front when it comes to things that your body can can digest and you like what do you what do you like are there winners so far between all of those things um
1: in terms of like i like being able to drink my calories like the tailwind or the scratch Mm -hmm. big fan of that i haven't decided which one i like better i've got like you know a huge stack of each and i kind of just go back and forth whatever i'm in the mood for that day um i was i liked like goo gels for a while um but i haven't done them in probably a month or two Mm -hmm. i think i'm gonna be using a bunch of those for utmb just because they're easy um but otherwise i love the peanut butter crackers like little ritz crackers the six pack with the peanut butter and the cheese in the middle um those were great and i think i'm gonna start getting back into the Nutrigrain bars as well just because it's nice having that solid food um and i can eat pretty much anything when i'm running um i just may have to take it a little bit slower yeah that's the case if it's it's something new
0: yeah do you ever eat like Pizza on the run.
1: Um, I did in canyons. Okay, I had a slice of cheese pizza. Um, I regretted it for a little bit, but I kept it down, and it was some good calories, I guess. Yeah, um, that was the only time I did like pizza. Um, boiled potatoes during races, pierogies, uh, you know, grilled cheese. Mm-hmm. Those things are all pretty good. Yeah. Oh, soda! I love soda when I'm running.
0: Okay, Coke.
1: Yeah, Coke. Dr. Pepper, Absolutely. what's
0: your favorite? Uh, Coke. Okay. Do you do, do you do make sure that it's flat before or you just don't care? You just give me a can, I'm good.
1: Just give me a can, I'm good. Yeah. I mean, I I think I prefer having you know, all, all the all the bubbles in there because to me it like helps settle my stomach a
0: little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, that's interesting you say that because you know outside of you know, some of the Tour de France riders that literally are, you know, handed a can of Coke, um, you don't really see that very often in, in races and race supports, you know, like in Ironman, like it's always poured into a cup where it can start to defizz. But I noticed at Speedgoat that, um, you know, a big portion of their water was sparkling water on top of, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I was surprised at how many people wanted sparkling water versus flat water during, during those aid station stops. And I'm just, and it was, I was like, it kind of took me back for a second. Cause I was just like, geez, man, like, wouldn't it give you a little bit of gas? And to their point, they were like, yeah, but it, it calms your stomach down. Um, so I was like, hmm, interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's the benefit of it. It's like you get that hit of sugar, immediate sugar from the soda. You get the calories, and um, the caffeine, but then like the, depending on the, and soda the caffeine. Too. And, but that other part is like, what we just talked about is with, if, Usually, if I feel terrible, I get food in me and I feel better. Yeah. Um, but that can take a long time for that to actually happen, even after eating. Um, but the, getting those that carbonation in me just not instantly, but pretty quickly, it like helps settle the stomach for me.
0: Yeah. Talk to us about shoes, man. What are you running? Yeah, it, it seems like you're kind of a big Hoka fan, but I've seen some other shoes on you as well.
1: Yeah, I do. Pretty much all my miles are in Clifton 9s for the Hoka. Um, I'll do my trail running in Challenger 7s, which are Hoka as well. I've done my marathons in, was that, the Rocket X2. Yep. Um, I tried on, I don't even remember who, oh, Asics, I think. I tried on an Asics, I think, Glycerin is maybe the name of it, or Nimbus. I think it's a Nimbus, A6 mm-hmm. Nimbus. Um, cause one of my friends, she is connected to ASICs in some way. So she was able to hook me up with a pair and it was okay. I, you know, it wasn't anything crazy to me. Um, but I just felt like I was, didn't quite have the stability that I had in the Clifton's that I usually run in. Yeah. So well, A6 I still got it.
0: Generally like more narrow of a shoe too. Like I can't, I personally can't ever really run in ASICs, although the new ASIC Carbon shoe is a little bit wider, but in the past Asics has always been like mm-hmm. super narrow compared to like other shoes.
1: Yeah, I don't have super wide feet. Like I usually, like my, my boots are normal width, my shoes are you know normal width. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was talking with the guys down at my local run shop because I was look, kind of looking into the um, oh what is it the the Bondi Hoka Bondi. Yes. Um, which has a little bit wider of a base, kind of like the Challenger does, mm-hmm. um, but I'm you know trying to ex- trying to experiment with some new things rather than just always running the Clifton Nine, um, and I had just tried it on. I'll probably get a pair and do some runs with it, but just initial impressions was I really liked just how stable it felt in that Bondi. Um, yeah. I think they also have like a Bondi X with like a carbon plate in it too, as well. So a lot, a lot of interesting stuff there.
0: Yeah. Have you tried their new Tecton X2 shoe?
1: I have not.
0: So that's That's the first
1: trail run shoe, right?
0: Yeah. And it's, it's my personal opinion. It's, it's the, it's the very first, what I consider to be like a really good trail shoe that they've made that I don't feel like I'm going to, break my ankle when I'm on like (laughs) single track, you know know what I mean? Because it's like, if you're on like fire roads or you're running a little bit slower, you know, you want all of those like big cushiony shoes that, that Hulka makes. Right. But if you're doing like anything where it's like, you've got to do like some fast miles on like really tight single track. I just felt like there was no stability there. Right. Because you're on such a big platform that it's like, you just feel like your ankle is going to break off the size. You're kind of like slower runners running in like the, the Nike Superflies on the road. Like you just see their like indentions. Like you're just like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) man, like I can't even watch that. But like the Tecton two, um, or the X two was, um, it just felt different. I was like, man, this is like, they've actually figured out like kind of what I would consider to like the short course. And it's got a carbon plate in it, but it's still squishy. Um, So anyways, I know you're not sponsored by Hoka and and whatnot, and nor are we, but uh, if you're looking for a shoe suggestion, probably go try, try those out.
1: Yeah. I'll have to check it out.
0: So you are about to go to the biggest trail race in the world.
1: The super bowl of trail running.
0: Yeah. Which I have not had an opportunity to check out in person myself. Um, talk to us about that. Like, I I mean, this is something that like people try decades to get into and here you are (laughs) going like two years into it. Yeah. Talk to us about like your excitement when you figured out that you had qualified, I want to know how you got work off to go, um, and, and your prep for that race. And yeah, give it, give us a lowdown, man.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, to be honest, I did not expect to be going this year, even at all. Um, I had, I mean, specifically we're talking, right. We're talking about UTMB, um, yes. the, I didn't really know what it was until, I did that run with Andy like last year, like October timeframe, I think. Um, And we were talking about it and I'd seen his videos. I had seen him posting about it. And I was like, that seems super cool. I want to do that. And he was explaining to me the process, how you got to get your running stones and you enter the lottery. And then that's how you get in, Um, which led to that initial um, going to Uh, speed goat and then signing up for canyons as well and so my only goal with it was okay well my plan is i'm not going to get in for this year because like that's pretty much already decided at this point Mm -hmm. all i'm going to do is i'm going to do these races i'm going to get my stones and then in two to three years i'm going to enter the lottery and hopefully i get in maybe i don't um and then at canyons i ended up doing pretty decent um I think I finished 21st or 23rd overall.
0: Did you beat Andy? Um,
1: I, I did beat him.
0: Nice. Um, I had
1: some help though. I had I had a pretty badass pacer with
0: me. Um, yeah, I want to talk to you about her as well because it's funny how you got some grief on social media about why you chose <laughs> a female pacer. Like, oh yeah, it's pretty wild. It's just mind-boggling, like that someone would have the balls to be like, eh, "Why do you have a chick running with you?" Like. <laughs> Are you kidding me <laughs> for sure <'Cause> she's fast <laughs> yeah
1: she, she's she's quick she's competing this weekend at the the 70.3 for worlds
0: oh is she really so, that's awesome oh yeah um
1: but yeah so i had i did the race i got my eight running stones because it was you know a world series and i just kind of moved on with my life i was like oh did i do well enough to get in i looked i'm like no i'm, I'm 20 plus places like no way. Everybody who beat me is in my same age group. There's a bunch of pros up there. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Cool, whatever. I got my stones. all will apply in a couple of years. Um, and then like a month later, I got an email from UTMB and they said, hey, congratulations. Um, you qualified for your age group. You have direct entry for UTMB this year. Uh, and I was just like, what? Like, I was like 20th. Um, and I immediately texted Andy and was like, hey, is this like a legitimate thing? And then he had gotten the same email for his age group as well. Um, And I guess what it sounds like is they opened up additional slots because of, with Canyons being its inaugural 100-mile year, Mm -hmm. and then also with, I guess, UTMB is like, they're calling it like the championship race for this year. So they opened up all these additional slots, and I guess somehow that had afforded me some extra slots that it was enough to bump me into the direct entry. Um, so, so that's how I got in. Honestly, it was pure dumb luck.
0: Well, I, I mean a little bit, right? Like some, some luck definitely on your side. Cause, cause what happened here is, is um, Iron Man, right. Basically bought the rights to North America for UTMB. And so, mm-hmm. and they, and and with that came more American slots so that more Americans can get into you at TMB so that it can help drive the global, um, you know, awareness of the event. Um, Mm -hmm. because I mean, until Ironman and, and I don't classify myself as a trail running expert at all, but until Ironman, you know, bought that, um, whatever it is that the North America rights, I didn't know what it was, you know, and, and, and I think a lot of Americans were, were like that as well. Um, and so now that, that they're here in the States, you know, they're setting up new races, they're allocating more slots so that, you know, it drives awareness. Um, you know, there was just more opportunity for people like you sure, to, to legitimately like qualify for it. Cause it's, it's not like you had a slow time. It's not like you like bought your way in, like you showed up, you qualified, and now you get to go um which is which i think is great um because you know people like you will bring a lot of awareness to that event um which which it's earned it's recognized it needs more awareness to it particularly in the united states um, yeah so when do you leave man
1: um i fly out evening of the 29th um fly out of boston think i have a layover in madrid and then i land in geneva when the uh, morning of the 30th.
0: Okay. And, but that's not, that's not a lot of time there. because be there like, no, a couple just, days uh, before the race starts.
1: Yeah. So I'll get there on a Wednesday. I'll land in Switzerland on a Wednesday morning. The race starts that Friday evening. Mm-hmm. So it's about uh, just over 48 hours. Um, which is honestly the most time I've ever given myself to get to a race. So I'm <laughs> proud of myself on that side of things um but i just like i'm usually much more of a get in get out type of thing whenever i go to a race um and that's sort of what this is i think you know a couple days earlier just because of the international travel and big time zone differences which i'm just going to kind of ignore and try to use it to my advantage with the with the late start Mm -hmm. um but otherwise it's just you know, show up you know, a couple of days early, check in, do the race, um, hang out for a day, and then fly out that following Monday morning or evening, however it works out.
0: Yeah. How has your training been going into this race? Because you 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 had your first DNF, correct, just recently at a at a hundred. Yeah. And yeah, um, so
1: two weeks ago, yeah.
0: And and it was because you were not prepared for the weather. And if you look at the weather forecast for Chamonix, oh, yeah, <laughs> you, you guys are going to have some weather, <laughs> it, it's going to be a wet one, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I mean, which is funny because you know, at, at, at all of these American races, right, these trail races that I've gone to, so Canyon, Speed Goat, right, there's these like massive rules from UTMB, right. That you have to have all of this stuff with you, right. Which seems a little bit weird when you're in canyons and it's supposed to be a high of a hundred degrees, but like you have to carry like a waterproof jacket in your bag, like and waterproof pants. Yeah. Like you have to carry all that stuff. Right. And then like, it's like 10
1: pounds worth of gear.
0: Yeah. And then you've got people like you that go to a race where that's not required. And you get caught in a rainstorm and you're like, mm, no, I'm done. Like, can't do it.
1: Yeah. Well, it was funny. Cause it's like for Eastern States, I knew it was going to rain. Like I knew it was going to rain. I knew it was going to thunderstorm. I think I was one of like, maybe out of the 250 ish people doing it. I was probably like one of 30 that actually carried a rain jacket with them the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just remember being on the trail, I had my rain jacket on and like, people had their space blankets out, which is like the only required item they were supposed to have. And they're yeah. like shivering, trying to like run down the trail. And I was like, well, I'm dry. Like I'm, I'm are wet, but that's not a big deal. Um, yeah. It wasn't so much like the being wet and being in the rain portion. That was like the DNF for me. Um, it was really like I had that calf strain that started at like mile 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was dealing with that. Um, and then, like, obviously, I was getting tired. I was doing the solo division. Um, it was getting late into the night. And just, like, that last mile leading to the aid station, I think, like, mile 62 or something, where I ended up dropping. Like, I was just walking on the trail. Um, and I fell four or five times in that one mile just walking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, like, I was thinking through it. I was, like, this is not, like, the ultimate goal for me. I'm, like, the goal right now is was I was just going to use Eastern States as, like, a training run for can or for uh UTMB. Because mm-hmm. it's a great way to get some Verd some good trail running, um, which is something that it's hard to get here in Rhode Island. Yeah. Um so I'm like, I'm just gonna use this as a training run. And I was like the last thing I want is like it's pretty rocky for the eastern states, a lot of exposed climbs it's like twenty thousand yeah. I think twenty thousand feet. Um I was just like the last thing I want to do right now is hurt myself and I'm already in like pretty bad shape. We're gonna call it here, and uh, we'll get ourselves right for for UTMB, um, and that that's ended up being what happened. It, it was super frustrating because I'm like I said, I'm super competitive. I'm like I know I can finish this race if I just even if I just keep walk the rest of the way, I can get there. Um, but I I just I wasn't confident in my ability to stay upright. So
0: yeah. Now who who joined you on that 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 bus back to the to the start line that wasn't prepared for the rain and the cold. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, that that was Carl for the Carl the speed game. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah well it was it was funny because i was I remember starting the race, um and like I'm not the fastest guy out there, but like I'm gonna force my way and be at the front of the start line just to like take it all in. Uh-huh. Um, I remember looking over and seeing him standing there, like tricked out in all his hoka gear, um, and I was like, man, that's pretty cool. There's like a sponsored athlete here. that's awesome. And then we kind of ran with each other for a little bit, and then we never really saw each other the rest of the race um and as they were getting like the meat wagon together to to drive me back to my car because i didn't have a crew with me um they're like hold on we got one more person that has to go um and he was you know sitting under this tent at the same aid station um again didn't recognize them like he had changed clothes at this point um he's just like yeah all right let's go like let's hop in the van um and we were just we were talking in the car um he's like yeah this never happens for me he's like I got chafing, I never get chafing. he's like I didn't have any like change of clothes he's like he was completely soaked um oh. he was saying how he's like if I go out tonight like he's like, I know I'm gonna freeze, and there's just we're just gonna have issues it's just not worth it yeah um and we started talking more and he was saying how he was the race director for for speed and I was like, I just pieced it together I'm like, oh my God, you're Carl. I didn't even realize it yeah, yeah. um but yeah it was a, it was a you know good forty minute ride home just kind of talking about ultra and running and all that stuff.
0: It probably made you feel a little bit better, didn't it? Like you weren't oh, such a weird.
1: Sure. Yeah. I was like, all right, I feel a little bit better. I'm like, I'm still frustrated with myself. I'm still upset, but it's a little bit better.
0: Yeah. Um, so, okay. So over the last like year or so, you've obviously, um, uh, gained a little bit of a, you know, pretty substantial social following. Right. Um, and, and one thing that I've noticed about, um, you particularly is you and you, you know, you and Andy are the same kind of, you know, individual, right. Where you just seem to be someone that is doing your own thing, but trying to inspire others to get out there and do it as well. Do you have any plans with your social following that you have? Because it's pretty impactful. Like you have the ability to impact a lot of people within, not only the current running community, but people that are also interested in becoming a part of that community.
1: Yeah. It's it's interesting, right? Because when I started doing this in the social media thing a year ago, it's like, hey, I've got, you know, I made it to a thousand followers. Like that was super cool. Um, you know, and a thousand becomes 5,000. And then I remember when I hit 10, like Andy texted me, he's like, congratulations, man, like keep it up. Um, like you're doing some great things there. And then out of nowhere, like I got to like 25 and it just, it blew up like 20,000 people over two days. Um, and it's been like pretty steadily climbing since. And the most amazing part is like, like posting the content is fun. Like, um, it's rewarding, but getting like messages from people Probably you know a couple times a week, who are just sharing some of their stories where they're saying how you know, my one video about you know running in the rain made them want to go run a 5K, and now they're going to go do their first run and they had so much fun with it and they're going to keep doing it, um, or it's helped them in some other aspect of their life and that's super amazing to see and I think something really cool about the running community is as much as it is a competition with other people, it's really just about a competition with yourself and what what can you push yourself to do, how can you improve yourself, Um, and having those little victories and the community itself is so supportive. Um, I think that's one of the most amazing things about it. But in terms of like the long-term goal with kind of how I see the, the social media thing going, I haven't really um, figured that part out yet. Um, luckily I have the ability where I I don't get paid for any of the, you know, influencing or or, or content that I do. Luckily I'm able to do it in conjunction with the Navy who's paying me my salary as long as I keep doing my Navy job, which, you know, I'm on a contract for. Um, but eventually that's going to come to an end and I can kind of see where this goes from there. Um, one of, the, one of the things that I am looking at, which, which is kind of funny that you bring this up, is for me, running has done a lot in terms of like uh, mental health along those aspects. Um, a lot of, like we talked about issues with the sleep, um, also like a lot of issues that developed with like anxiety um, along those lines, particularly from the, the overseas tours um, with the Navy. And that has helped me so much. So I try to encourage other people to do, just get active, even if it's not running, get outside, go for a walk, go to the gym for a little bit um, and help people with that respect. So like the big project that I'm working on right now is I want to run transcontinental across the U.S. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to go L.A. to New York City. And along that way, because of the opportunity I've been afforded with the social media and the following is try to raise a bunch of money for some veteran health and wellness organizations. I think I think our goal is going to be a million dollars during that run. Um, And I'm competitive. So I think like we're trying to raise the money. And then I also have a goal of I want to set a new world record for it as well.
0: Yeah. So that's like when, when do you want to do that?
1: the timeline that i'm looking at is like march of 24 so like what six seven months
0: shut up for (laughs) you
1: yeah it's a big goal so like once i finish utmb i've got a couple i've got like two more races i've got a 75k and then i've got the marine corps marathon again this year Mm -hmm. but other than that once i finish utmb like i'm pretty much cutting trail running out of my life Mm -hmm. for a little bit at least um And I'm going to start focusing on trying to see if we can hit that goal.
0: How long would that take you to run across? What's the, what's the record now?
1: The record right now is 42 days, six hours, 30 minutes, um, which is about 72 miles a day. My goal would, my goal would be 75 miles a day, which would be, uh, 40 days. So I want to, I want to try to beat the goal by two days.
0: And how long does that take you to run 75 miles a day?
1: Anywhere from twelve to fifteen hours of running a day, okay. basically, basically like a a nine thirty to a twelve minute pace.
0: Hmm. Wow. Well, Let us know if we can help you with that. We got a big. We got a big platform, man.
1: Oh, for sure. I, I've got. I think that's
0: pretty cool. the
1: The Navy may or may not be on board with it. Um, they support it, but they also can't support it due to like legal and fiscal reasons. Yeah.
0: I'm sure they've got their like hands tied with a lot of that political stuff, unfortunately, but,
1: but I am, I like, I am pursuing some corporate sponsorships right now. I'm waiting to hear back on all of that. Um, but yeah, basically the plan is like once I start to get at least a yellow light for it, I don't even need a green light. Mm -hmm. If I at least get the yellow light for it, um, the plan is to start leveraging a lot of the running community to help support this thing and, and bring awareness um whether it's through outlets such as yours with the podcast um other podcasts other social media uh running content creators is just really try to blow this thing up as much as we can cuz sure like get getting the record would be cool but that's not the goal the mm-hmm. goal is to get people out and moving and raise awareness yeah. that that's the goal here
0: yeah that's awesome, man. Well, Paul, thanks for taking the time today, man. Um, and uh, thanks for your service for our country as well. We, um, we, we appreciate it and we're indebted to you uh, for all that you've done. Um, we will be, uh, we'll be, we'll be cheering you on next week um, when you're in shamani. Uh, and uh, before we end, just kind of tell everybody where, they can find you on, on social media and stuff so that they can give you a follow.
1: Sure. So main platform really is Instagram. Um, you can find me at Paui Johnson. It's basically Paul Johnson, but instead of an L for Paul, it's an I so P A U I
0: Johnson. All right. Sounds good. Uh, thanks for joining everybody on the episode today. Um, we will talk to you next week. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Great talking to you.